Hey kiddos, welcome to Dad Feelings, the podcast where we have fictional father figures and real dads with real feelings. I'm your host, Merritt, and joining me this week is a writer, uh, Twitter uh, per- persona um, extraordinaire. I don't know. I know you mostly through Twitter, and I, I hate when people <laughs> describe me that way, but you yeah. you do good tweets. So uh, oh, th- that, that you're hearing the voice of Sophie B, who is joining me this week to uh, discuss... And I guess I should air my biases here because we are well into Trek month at this point here at Dad Feelings HQ, the, here aboard the USS Dad Feelings. <laughs> um, and, um, and you may have noticed some bias. I will say, again, as I have said before, that I have never really watched the original series. And I know much more about Deep Space Nine than I do any other Star Trek because I started, that was my gateway into Star Trek because it was the least Trek-like Trek. Um, and we did an episode on Cisco, and you may be wondering now, what is there else? And I'll tell you, there's everything else on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> we are going to cover every other, or as many other dads, in Deep Space Nine, as we can think of um, in this episode. And I'm very excited to have you here to talk about that with me. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about Deep Space Nine because um, Deep Space Nine is really just full of dads. Like, every single character pretty much is a dad or a dad figure in some way, I think. it's. Uh, I've been watching a lot of it recently. I was kind of like re-watching the series because um, I, I also kind of have a bias. It's my favorite Star Trek series. And I've watched a lot of Star Trek uh, up to and including like Voyager and Enterprise and all of all of that. But it is my favorite Star Trek series. And yeah, it's just there are uh, there are so many dads in there. And I was kind of like in my rewatch, I'm like in the middle of season six and the dad stuff kind of uh, hits a really massive crescendo, it seems like, and with a few of the characters, like some of their storylines just get like really serious in that season. So yeah, I'm really excited to talk about all the dads here. Yeah, well, where do we even start? I mean, we can just pick a character at random. We could start chronologically. Um, do you have a preference? Is there someone that has just been really on your mind that you're like dying to to discuss right up front um i think i think i really feel strongly that um i want to talk about dax actually because i feel Mm. like dax's role as a dad is kind of uh maybe maybe the most controversial i did a poll recently on my twitter about the best star trek dad was and uh, or the best deep space nine dad and um Dax, people were kind of confused uh, about her role as a dad or a father figure. Uh, but, I mean, if you watch the show, you'd see her regularly giving Cisco fatherly advice. Cisco refers to her as old man. There's, like, there's just so much there in that relationship. And she serves as this sort of paternal figure uh, to Cisco. He regularly turns to advice and uh and they they kind of have a confrontational relationship in in some ways too um just occasionally just uh with with dax sort of her life experience getting uh occasionally getting in the way of what is practical for cisco to do and things like that so i think dax is a good way to start yeah absolutely um I don't know. I think Dax is a dad. That's like, <laughs> um, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty obvious to me. Like, yeah. this is the character who is older than, I think, everyone else in the show except maybe Odo. Yeah, yeah. And um, who we can come back to. And uh, <laughs> is has lived, like, all of these lives. And most recently, before, well, you know, there's Jazzy Dax and then Ezri Dax, but... Um, for most of the show is Jadzia Dax, who's like this like woman in her like thirties, forties, thirties. I think I think when she starts, she's in her late twenties. So she's really? like a, wow. okay. yeah, yeah. But also has like it's kind of and I hate to compare it to this. 
it's kind of like a Doctor Who situation, I guess, where like this character, if you don't know, is um, it's uh like a symbi a symbiote and then like a host kind of, and so like the host has like all of the accumulated life experience and knowledge of all the previous hosts, um, and the most recent one before Jadzia was uh this this older guy who Cisco like looked up to and got advice from and like hung out with Klingons and like just got into <laughs> fist fights and drank a lot. Um, and so Cisco still calls Dax old man and she's just like cool with it because that's their relationship. Um, and also kind of gives advice to other characters too. And just often is in that role of having wisdom or like knowledge that she's accumulated over like these, this long span, which is a very dadly thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And actually, I was, um, I was just a recent episode I watched uh, in kind of like I was thinking about this. Uh, I was thinking about doing this uh, episode with you, and I was, um, and I took note of something that she said to Cisco uh, in one episode, which is they're they're just having this they're having this conversation, and Dax says, "Whatever happened to that young callow ensign I used to know, the one who used to turn to me for advice all the time." you know, the one with hair. <laughs> and, and Cisco's response is, I grew up, which is like absolutely, you know, the con a conversation that you could see a parent having with their child and the, you know, the child uh, striking out on their own and becoming this independent person who, you know, and the parent just sort of like, sort of like looking back on the days where they used to be the one raising them and giving them advice and like helping them out and, now the per now that child is is a is a grown up is a is a grown person yeah so, so yeah she's her relationship and and like her uh like all the experience that she had in the previous host as Curzon uh Curzon Dax um really sort of gives her this like this really playful wisdom about her that is almost i i kind of almost feel like it's uh it, it's paternal but it's also sort of grandfatherly in a way mm -hmm. uh with uh you know because she's like really playful about it too yeah absolutely um no dax is like definitely like one of the most in ways like most conventional dads and then in ways unconventional um yeah it's like a really interesting depiction um and especially considering the show is like the mid 90s early 90s yeah yeah mid 90s mid 90s um it's like yeah it's like kind of a cool interesting character that like i i think is one of the reasons that i was drawn into t to deep space nine is like oh they're doing interesting stuff with like with family and with like um like all these different people living together on this space station and they sort of all have their own weird histories and, and relationships that are kind of more complex than I have been led to believe um, Star Trek usually depicts. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And I really the, like that, that whole, the whole storyline that Dax gets into or her entire arc over the series is pretty interesting too, because it really dives deep into like, her uh the Dax symbiote's history with like the Klingons and stuff like that but like really it's her relationship with Cisco that is kind of the main focus until sh until Worf comes on the show and like her relationship with Worf starts to grow and like that but otherwise that's kind of the main uh focus of her character is this is this uh friendship this old this old uh friendship with Cisco which is which I really love I really think that it's kind of it's very sweet and um I think I think there's a lot uh there's a lot there so Absolutely yeah yeah and then also I think is in sort of that role to other characters at times as well Yeah absolutely um, well while, while also oddly being like this sexual object of desire for a lot of characters oh yeah <laughs> like, yeah like like uh to <laughs> especially to bashir in the first season first few episodes i guess and then to um to quark as well yeah yeah absolutely and and also like just has this she has this like sexual freedom where it, there's a re recurring joke where it, um it refers to the fact that 
that uh, Jadzia, for it, for it's it always seems like it was for an extended period of time that she went out with this alien who has a transparent skull. So she's <laughs> so that's like a thing that keeps coming up. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just yeah, I love I love the way that her character is drawn as this you know this sort of like. Uh, this sort of like father figure in a way to a lot of the characters. Like she gives Kira love advice a lot of the time mm-hmm. and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe this is a good point too, because I, so much of that advice and so much of these interactions between these characters takes place on deep space nine in Quark's bar. Right. And um, I guess a tiny bit of background for, uh, for folks who aren't familiar with the show again, um, Quark is a Ferengi played by Armin Scheimerman. And the Ferengi are kind of a complex race in Star Trek in that um, in many ways, they're kind of a horrible, like, yeah, <laughs> like stereotype on like, um, they were meant to be the original villains of uh, the next generation before they decided that that would be terrible and then sort of made them uh, the Romulans um, but the, the Ferengi, they're basically their whole empire is like just rank capitalism, like taken to its extreme. Um, and it's also very patriarchal. And so on Deep Space Nine, you have Quark, who has is this uh, Ferengi who's been running this bar. And um, uh, he's been running the bar for like since it's um, the space station has been uh, run by the Cardassians. Yeah. And during that time, he was sort of secretly funneling resources to, to the Bajorans who were um, kind of being like, who were being occupied by the Cardassians um, and like used as uh, slave labor. And um, he's sort of like secretly funneling resources, although he like doesn't really want to admit it. And like, because um, partly for his own reputation and partly just because like, um, it's uh, sort of unbecoming for a Ferengi to be generous um, or to to allow like those kinds of considerations. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he, you've got him, and then you've got his brother Rom, and Rom has a son uh, named Nog, mm-hmm. and so they form this weird kind of family unit where um, Ro- uh, Nog is sort of being raised by his father and his uncle. Um, and his father, Rom, is sort of like this very sweet, dopey kind of guy. And Quark is like constantly scheming. Usually if there's an episode in it, it's like around some like he gets sucked into some scheme to like make money or something. And then it goes horribly wrong. Um, and then Nog wants to be a Starfleet captain. He wants to be the first Ferengi Starfleet captain. Um, and it's sort of there's some stuff about like going against your family. Um, and... Uh, it's like, I have to be honest, the Ferengi episodes are some of my favorite of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, yeah, mine too. I, I kind of love them. And like, yeah, they have this little family unit, uh, like you said, where um, where like Nog is, uh, you know, Nog is sort of like competing, not well... Um, he has his he has his like desire to be a Starfleet uh, captain, but it also competes with his like his like uh, heritage as a Ferengi, and uh, Quark and Rom just constantly bicker about that. And like whenever whenever Nog, especially after Nog joins Starfleet, uh, whenever Nog gets involved with one of their schemes, like you know. It, Rom is just like insanely proud of his uh, his Starfleet son, and Quark is just is just visibly disappointed and and <laughs> yeah. just kind of disgusted with his with uh, with Nog joining Starfleet, and um and then Quark also whenever they have those episodes, a lot of the time uh it involves it involves their family, their mother, mm-hmm. and uh. And Quark kind of has to take this this role as the as the uh, patriarch of the family. Like he's sort of the he's sort of like the man of the house, and has to like take responsibility for for everything that goes on with uh, with their mother and with uh, with anybody in the family. Like it all kind of falls on Quark's shoulders. Mm-hmm. So he has to. So he kind of takes that role as like the patriarch of the family. Yeah, well, again, yeah, Ferengi culture is, like, 
um, just like deeply, deeply patriarchal, misogynistic, and like um, to the point that women aren't allowed to wear clothes, and like a woman in clothes is like obscene. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Quark sort of is is in that role. I can't remember what happens. Like, wh- their father is just dead. I think their father is just dead, and like he he uh, I I I he, their father is just dead, and he also just wasn't a good businessman. Like right, he didn't right. make any. Like he didn't know how to make any profit, and um, but uh, but it becomes it becomes really difficult on, for Quark to deal with that fact because like their family had money, but um, un, but he learns that all the money was made by by their mother uh, secretly and women in Ferengi society are not allowed to earn profit. It's illegal. So, so like it, it, that's, that's uh, there's an episode that where the episode where Quark learns this um, it's, he kind of, he has trouble dealing with that. He has trouble dealing with the idea that his father who he looked up to was just not a good businessman and that Mm -hmm. it was this like this sort of obscene, what what he would consider an obscene uh way of making money because it was made because all the money the family had was made by was made by a woman um so he kind of has so he kind of has uh trouble dealing with that but then like uh, of course by the end of the episode he sort of he's he reconciles with his mother about it and all of that but like that continues to be a theme of of quark and uh and like the of the Ferengi episodes and of the and of those stories is like his mother just you know is is way smarter than anybody else in the family and <laughs> um, and like yeah so and it's uh and uh and just continually getting Quark into into trouble because of because she is not going to hide the fact that she's smart and knows how to make money. Right, right. And and what's this sort of reminding me also on a bigger scale is that even aside from, you know, the characters, the mainstay characters of the series being literal dads or being father figures, you have all of these family relationships um, that are sort of like peripheral to the series where uh, people's parents will show up on the station for like a few days or like or just like an episode or whatever, like so, right? Or or they'll go back to like home and see their parents. So like you have, you know, the stuff with Quark, and then you have stuff like um, Bashir's parents come, and it's like this big thing because he's like this super genius doctor, and it comes about that like his parents genetically engineered him, which um, in Star Trek universe is not allowed because of what happened in the original series to um, uh, what's his name. It's, uh, con con yeah because genetic engineering makes people into like super beings who believe that they're more powerful than like <laughs> the rest of humanity um and or you have stuff like uh garrick and um his father tain yeah yeah uh god i i hadn't even thought about that like in a, in a while because i because in my rewatch it's been a minute since i saw those episodes but yeah um he definitely has his uh it, it it's like originally like he's this he's just this sort of father figure the person who like made Garrick who he was but then it comes about that like Garrick is actually Tane's son right mm-hmm. I, yeah, yeah yeah so Garrick is um at the beginning of the series he's just like he's this the only Cardassian left on the station because at the beginning of of Deep Space 9 basically the Cardassians have pulled out and the Federation is moving in to the station that's over Bajor. And Garrick is the only Cardassian left on the station. And it basically transpires that he is in exile for some reason. It's not really explained until later on or really clearly ever. Yeah. Um, and he just maintains that he's a simple tailor. Um, and But nonetheless, like, know, seems to know way more about espionage and assassination and interrogation than anyone should um and yeah has this this sort of relationship with this spy master kind of character an Tane, who um yeah it transpires is his literal father and um in the sort of cardassian like black ops um having 
family or romance or, or uh, sexuality is basically frowned upon because it is a distraction. And so Tain had this secret affair and then Garrick comes out of that and Tain is just like, oh, I should have killed your mother when like when she was pregnant with you because you're like, you're, you've been this weakness to me this whole time. Yeah. Um, and then Garrick, like, yeah, Garrick doesn't learn that Tain is like actually his father until fairly late in the series. Um, and I sort of had assumed he was dead uh, for a long time. And um, they have this like very, uh, for most of the series, this very tense relationship. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really intense, and it's really, like, um, very, like, there's, there's a part where Tane gives Garrick a chance to kind of, like, come back, and come back to Cardassia, and, uh, and help them out against, uh, against the Dominion, and, um, and Garrick is kind of forced to, you know, he, he, like, looks up to Tane so much, but, um, but it's it's forcing him to like make to make really kind of awful decisions about what he wants to do with regard to like the people on the station and he's at one point uh uh tane asks basically like has garrick torture odo and uh to get to get information from him and um and garrick wants garrick really wants to impress his father uh and, and so he like he does it, but it's but it just wears on him, and it just and it's very very difficult for him. And he does, and he ends up, he you know when he ends up going through with the with torturing Odo, it's just like it's really painful. It's a really pretty painful episode to watch because Garrick is just so torn on it about it. It's re- and um, yeah, and like he's just kind of like always wanting to impress Tane and just do be a good spy for his father. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. And Garrick is sort of this like wisdom dispensing figure to a lot of characters at times as well. Oh yeah. Um, and often his wisdom is sort of like cryptic or sinister um, <laughs> and sort of alludes to just like really like shadowy, like horrible things. Um and Garrick, I guess, although I think Garrick is more of like a gay uncle. Um, yeah. And I didn't actually know this, but until I was doing research for this episode, but um, actually um, the the guy who played uh, Garrick, Andrew Robinson, said that he was going to try and play him as basically like uninterested in people on the basis of gender and just sort of like very like attracted to beauty um yeah and uh and basically said like oh he's attracted to bashir because he's this very confident intelligent beautiful man um but uh the writers just like didn't support it (laughs) um and you know it was like the mid-90s and it was like this mainstream tv like sci-fi show and like he was trying to do this thing but like um the writing just like just wasn't there but it is pretty clear that they are like i i don't know there are so many garrick bashir scenes that are just like oh yeah no they're obviously um and he is sort of this like yeah kind of like nefarious arch gay uncle to to a lot of characters yeah he the first in the first season like he the first time he approaches bashir like he just kind of swoops in and like puts his arm around bashir and and you know, offers to have lunch with him and it's just like, and yeah, so he definitely plays him as this sort of like mischievous, nef- well, not mischievous, even just like, like you said, nefarious gay uncle. And, um, the, he really, really played it up as much as he put, as he was allowed to, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, yeah. And then the writers just didn't really, um, support that, that kind of, on the character i guess which is unfortunate because it's it was a really like that relationship that he develops with bashir is really really fun and uh and yeah he just kind of dispenses this cryptic advice to him and is and is like really you know really invested in cardassian culture and the the sort of 
the functioning of this of the Cardassian fascist society and just you know doesn't really get he doesn't really get uh why the federation isn't like that and mm-hmm. and he every everything he says to people all the advice he gives to people is about just overpowering and compl- you know just <laughs> establishing complete dominance of everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he is perfect yeah, uh, he... he is definitely one of my favorite characters in the series. Um, can we talk about Vic Fontaine? Yes, let's talk about Vic, Vic Fontaine. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so Vic Fontaine is a character that completely caught me by surprise. Um, I was not aware of him going in. And uh, basically, like, okay, so for the listener... If you have never seen this series, <laughs> imagine that you're watching a Star Trek series and um, it proceeds basically as normal for, um, you know, a few seasons, uh, like like five, six seasons. And uh, then you get to an episode that begins <laughs> in a Las Vegas <laughs> lounge. Because, <laughs> OK, I guess I should say that there's a holodeck on um, on uh, Deep Space Nine or Hollow Suites. And um, where like it's like the holodeck on on TNG where people can get just except people use it to just have like really self indulgent adventures or like sex parties instead of like admiring nature or like performing Shakespeare plays yeah. <laughs> um, because everyone on Deep Space Nine is like a degenerate. Um, but uh, it just starts in this Las Vegas lounge and there's a guy. There's basically like this like Dean Martin Sinatra esque lounge singer who is a hologram but is like self-aware and starts giving people advice just like about life and love and it's just like (laughs) oh he's just a character now yeah it's just like out of nowhere it's like oh yeah this hologram lounge singer is just a character now (laughs) yeah it turns out they had wanted to do it for like kind of a long time and had approached frank sinatra jr and he was like yeah i'll do it i want to be an alien and they're like uh no um (laughs) So they got this guy, James Darren, to do it. And uh, it's fantastic. It's incredible. Also, he was on TJ Hooker with uh, Bill Shatner. So um, it's unbelievable, though, because he becomes this figure who, like, you think is maybe going to be like, oh, is he going to, like, go rampant and, like, become, like, like, is he going to take over? No, he's just, like, a a holoprogram who knows that he is a holoprogram who is like super charming and gives pretty good advice and teaches Odo how to how to like woo someone and teaches like Odo how to love and teaches Odo how to love to, and like works with Nog to like you know make his business better and uh is just like this incredible dad figure yeah and Vic Fontaine is like incredibly controversial because I know I have a lot of friends who love deep space nine but they just like vocally hate vic fontaine they're just like yeah that was when i was like ready to check out of the show and i'm just like why he's so great (laughs) he's so good (laughs) and there's an episode where the mob takes over his like the mob the hollow mob takes over his hollow (laughs) business and like and they're just like like cisco's like why can't we just like like restart the program and they're like no he'll lose all his memories we love him too much and so like they have to like do a heist on the fake casino to get the mob to leave (laughs) the crew has to go into the hollow suite into the fake (laughs) to defeat the fake mob to save their lounge singer dad (laughs) it's so incredible i don't know i guess i could see how you could be like oh this is like a weird thing that has nothing to do with it but it's like no this is what deep space nine is about (laughs) you live in the airport and your family is just like doing like just getting into like ridiculous hijinks yeah yeah absolutely and like they yeah and i mean it just sort of comes it feels like it comes out of nowhere like when it shows up when vic fontaine shows up it's just like what is happening (laughs) and uh but he becomes this sort of like central figure. It's sort of like almost like a Guinan uh, yeah. type figure from from Next Generation, uh, where he's just like, you know, he he 
gives people like gives people advice from in in this sort of like 20s lounge singer uh language and then gets up there and sings a song and then they all their problems are fixed <laughs> <laughs> and yeah so like yeah there's the the episode um where, where nog like go, basically goes to live with vic fontaine mm-hmm. for a minute and then um because he's is it because he's depressed from like getting like his injury or something in Starfleet. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's like because the war has gotten so severe and essentially he's like experiencing PTSD. Mm-hmm. And and uh I I love Deep Space 9 because it's a show where you can ha- both have a literal child experiencing PTSD and getting and a holographic lounge singer who dispenses advice and have them in the same episode and in the same story. And it just kind of works. And it's, uh, and Vic Fontaine uh, is, you know, is like helping Nog through this. And he's helping him um, sort of get back to a point where he can, where he can um, sort of go, you know, go and do and f- be back with his, with the people who love him. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's it's really interesting because Vic Fontaine is also like he's this character who I think I think if I'm remembering correctly at some point in that episode he just he really doesn't know what to do and so he's actually asking like the rest of the crew what to do and uh and Nog is just like not is just cuz Nog is just like not really wanting to leave the comfort of being in Vic Fontaine's world Mhm mhm so it's really, really interesting, and he has this, um, and so yeah, he ha- he definitely like offers this sort of solace and this sort of like uh, to 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 all the characters, and he's just this sort of like comforting presence to all of them to the point where you know it it actually does become an issue for Nog where he just doesn't want to he I mean he doesn't essentially. He essentially doesn't want to leave home. He like goes into the hollow suite into Vic Fontaine's program and just doesn't want to leave because it's like that's where he feels most comfortable and most at home at that time and that and it's far away from the things that were that were uh upsetting him and scaring him. Yeah. So and also Vic Fontaine does have the there is the great moment where they go into the alternate universe and the alternate universe Vic Fontaine appears. <laughs> Uh, oh, for God, uh, the for mirror a brief universe. moment, yeah, <laughs> for a brief moment, mirror universe Vic Fontaine shows up, and I think is is immediately like destroyed by. <laughs> <laughs> but he like shows up with 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 a weapon in hand, and he's like ready to go, and then like is immediately destroyed. <laughs> but yeah, he, I I don't know. I love Vic Fontaine. I think people who people who don't like him, I I you know I get it, but. We are we don't see eye to eye on this at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, who have, we haven't talked about Chief O'Brien yet. Yeah. Who okay. Talk about divisive characters. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's not divisive so much as just a lot of people hate him. <laughs> but uh, he is like the every dad of this show. Like, yeah, he. Is on so he comes from TNG, um, played by Cole Meany, who you can tell is just like just disgusted at the techno babble that like forty percent of his <laughs> lines are. Um, like he's a real actor. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, he is. <laughs> um, and uh, he's like this engineer, and uh, he ends up on uh, on Deep Space Nine, and he moves in there with his wife and daughter and his wife okay so it's weird because like i was watching tng a few months ago and like i'm pretty sure she doesn't appear until the episode when they get married like he's just like oh we're getting married i'm getting married to to keiko and it's like uh who (laughs) yeah yeah i (laughs) well i think i mean on on the next generation he's like such a minor he's just like a side character he's just the dude the dude who operates the transporter in transporter room whatever um and uh but yeah so like she just kind of shows up and it's like all of a sudden like oh yeah we care about these characters right (laughs) Uh, (laughs) right um but yeah like 
and he just he moves onto the station with Keiko and uh and Molly and Molly is like I think like two years old at that time mm-hmm. or something like that just still like a ve- like a toddler like a just a very young child and um and yeah he he kind of uh I like to think of him as just like he's just like the working class dude like he he makes a couple comments here and there where he talks about like how he's not how he's not like an officer he's just like he's um he's not like enlisted or whatever he's he just is just a dude who's like uh working on he's working on the station fixing things but he's not uh but he's not like one of the one of the brass like he talks mm-hmm. he i think he makes a joke at some point about how he would have to call nog sir yeah yeah so like yeah he's just like a working class dad and um Definitely, like you said, the every dad. He's just he's just like a just like a dude who has who's there with his family and you know and uh, and his young daughter and yeah and then like um, I don't know he I feel like his his role as a dad isn't really it isn't explored too much beyond that other than just him being this like working class dude who like talks who you know um, uh just has a family and he's concerned about the safety of his family um like when the when the war in this in the show gets going he sends uh he sends keiko and molly um he sends them away to so they aren't on the station because the station is going to be attacked and stuff like that but yeah uh he's i don't know he's he's really interesting and i feel in you know in a in the show where there's all of these like really um complica- complicated relationships he sort of sticks out as being i feel like just like a regular dad yeah. and that's that's unique in that show it is and it's kind of interesting because o'brien is the most unremarkable character in many ways he doesn't have uh he's not a commit yeah he's not an officer he's not um he doesn't have a symbiote that gives him like super knowledge. <laughs> He's not an alien who is like super strong. Um, he is just a guy who has been around for a long time and happened to scrape by. He doesn't have genetic engineering like Bashir or like super spy training like Garrick. Or and he isn't a changeling like Odo. He is just a normal guy. He's a normal yeah. dad. And it's interesting because what the show does with him is torture him at every possible opportunity to the point that O'Brien must suffer is like kind of a known quantity at this point. Like, yeah, it basically describes all of his character arcs. So like one of the first ones, which is truly terrible, is that he likes to tell his daughter stories and one of her favorites is Rumpelstiltskin. But then oh people's imaginations start manifesting in reality. And Rumpelstiltskin appears and tries to steal his daughter. Yeah. <laughs> Which is terrible. Um, or, like, um, I mean, there's lots of just bad things that just happened to him. Like, that entire episode where he thinks everyone is treating him weirdly. And... Um, everyone is like and he thinks everyone else is being weird and then it turns out that he is just like a robot o'brien that was like yeah. made to replace the real yeah one. yeah um and is killed um <laughs> he there's but then there's a lot of episodes that that focus on his family and torture him through his family as a dad yeah. and husband so there's one where keiko gets possessed by a paw wraith which is basically mm-hmm. like this demon um there's one where Molly gets sent through like a time rift and ages ten years without any human contact and becomes feral. Yeah, which yeah. is a lot. It, it, it was a lot, and like he, Keiko and and O'Brien, they're just like trying to get through to her and make her like want make her realize that you know she's home and she's safe and she doesn't need to she doesn't need to be afraid of them and it's just like it's a lot like they are they spend the whole episode just trying to communicate with her and try to trying to make her feel safe and and um yeah and that is uh like the decisions that they have to make there are like pretty intense so yeah like he he gets he he is put through so much i mean like there's the episode where he 
experiences like 20 years of incarceration oh my god but like (laughs) it's like an implanted memory and then he just gets home and he's uh and he's traumatized by that but then and like that like manifests in like how he's interacting with his family like he at one point he uh he yells at molly and um in in kind of a scary way and like just and and it's and it's really frightening. It's really like intense because he is just otherwise just like he's just this normal dad, but he and this normal like family man, and he just like is is acting out uh, uh from because of his trauma and and his ha- and just can't deal with it, and so like that becomes really scary because it's very made very apparent how affected he is because of how he interacts with his family and especially with his daughter. Yeah. Yeah, and they have a second child. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which has its own complications because basically Keiko is pregnant and then gets into like a transporter accident with Kira and then Kira is pregnant with with Miles's baby, um, which, is ba- which is still Miles and Keiko's baby, but it's in Kira now and she has to give birth and it's very weird and kind of interesting in sort of like this surrogate weird family relationship because Kira sort of stays with them for a while. Yeah. And um yeah, it's but it's also just another like, oh what can we do to fuck up O'Brien's family? <laughs> well yeah, and then they have this like there's this whole weird subplot where like Kira staying with them is um makes it, it there's there's this weird like romantic tension between O'Brien and Kira and because of that and like it's like oh she's carrying our child and uh and now like that means that that miles is gonna fall in love with her i I don't know it's very weird but um but yeah it and then but then like once their second their second child is born kiryoshi um once uh once he's born it's you know it sort of gets back to the normal O'Brien routine where he's just like a dude raising a family, mm-hmm. which is, which is kind of cool. Like he just sort of like, he goes through all this, all this stuff and then just kind of bounces back and has his family there with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I, you know, I mean, I don't know how realistic that is, but I mean, this is a show with like shapeshifters and stuff. So. Speaking of shapeshifters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> do we want to talk about Odo? Yeah. I feel like, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Odo and um, and uh, he. Do we want to talk about his relationship with the with the Doctor Mora first? Because oh, there's, sure. There's a little bit. Uh, there's a little bit. Uh, there's a lot going on with Odo too, because like he has his relationship with uh, the Doctor who found him, the Bajoran Doctor, who um, who like found Odo and discovered that Odo is a life form because he was just this like blob that didn't react to anything. But then this doctor found out that Odo was actually alive and got him to sort of start shape shifting and start, uh, and start learning how to take different shapes. And eventually, um, and eventually Odo was able to like take humanoid form. But the way that this doctor did that with Odo was through like giving him like electrical shocks and uh performing all of these experiments on him that were kind that Odo is like very uh feels very tortured by uh well I mean because it was it was very like it was torturous it was basically this doctor like prodding him with instruments until he did a thing mm-hmm. so yeah um and like Dr. Mora comes back uh, at several points in the show. Um, but, and Odo is, and it's always this very, very adversarial relationship because Odo, like, because, you know, it's definitely like a, it's Odo definitely, uh, views Dr. Mora as his father. I think he actually calls Dr. Mora his father at some point. Um, and he like really hopes that he does, like, he really like, doesn't want to have anybody ever go through what he went through um and uh 
and but he he sort of like he sort of tries to uh, avoid doing what Dr. Mora did to him when he finds this other changeling that he's trying to help out. Like there's an episode where he finds this other changeling and is trying to get this changeling to take uh to take different shapes because it's just like him when he was found. It's this like it's just this blob. And eventually Dr. Mora shows up to try to help him and there's this massive conflict because Odo doesn't want to become his father and he doesn't want to do what his father did to him to this other to this other being. Mm-hmm. And um and eventually like eventually they they were are able to coax this uh this uh baby changeling into different shapes and get it to take other forms and um and the and that changeling eventually leaves but uh but yeah and that that's sort of a resolution to that story in a way just because like Dr. Mora admits like yeah what i did to you was really messed up and i could have done the same thing obvi- uh by not torturing you the way that I did and like sort of admits that like, yeah, he was a, he was kind of awful to Odo Mm -hmm. and Odo like showed that he didn't, that he didn't become like his, like uh, his father uh, in that way. But I mean, he also has like other parental figures around him and he also serves as a parental figure, just like everybody else. He also serves as this parental figure to people on the station as well. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's ultimately one of the reasons why I like Deep Space Nine so much is because everyone, like, much more so than TNG for me, and I I don't know much about other series, and this may be not true for them, but um, there's just, like, this huge diversity in terms of, like, the ages and, like, kinds of relationships between the characters. Because, like, I feel like in something like a TNG, you have, like, a lot of basically mid adult kind of characters and then you have like one kid for a while and then you mostly just have like these adults who are relatively the same age interacting sometimes there's like you know one is in his 50s and one's in his his 30s or 40s but like with deep space nine like what we have talked about we have talked about uh a character who has like hundreds of years of different life experiences who is like a father figure to a dad on the show we have a, a character who, again, Odo, like hundreds of years old. Thousands? Hundreds? I think uh, hundreds, yeah. Hundreds, yeah. Um, and so, and then also has access to like this sort of communal knowledge when he goes back and finds his, his people's home. Right. Um, and then they have this sort of this, this different competing idea of like a family that he has to choose between sort of like the, his solid family who are like all individuals versus like this kind of like gestalt um, consciousness sort of life. Um, But so you have Odo, um, you do have like some kids um, and then you just have like people of like a a variety of ages and and experiences. And it just feels to me like this really, like the whole station is just like this weird big family. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, so, I don't know. I just like, I think that's one of the things that attracted it, uh, attracted me to it so much is like, there's just so many interesting relationships and so many of them are intergenerational um, and um, just really weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, cause you have, uh, you have all of this, you have this weird big family all sort of like interacting together and, um, and, they all bring different experiences and different perspectives. I mean, even like, like Kira brings in like her experience, uh, her life as like a resistance fighter and like, and like she has, and she approaches things from a much different perspective than anybody else. And it just like, everybody is, is um, just like, I don't know. It is, it is, I think the, the best example of like what I feel star trek does really well and like i mean and like i said i really really love star trek and i think that deep space nine more than any other show just has this like with people that just it all have different different things to offer and they all just kind of come together and share those things with each other in in to you know to to do 
really great things together and it's so that's i absolutely agree with you that's like that's what i really love about deep space nine because it's just such a disparate group so many different kinds of people and all of these different uh these different kinds of relationships these uh familial relationships yeah yeah well um is there anything else you want to mention before we wrap up i think that's maybe a good place to call it yeah. Um, no, I think, uh, I think that's a good place to call it. There are even, there are other dads we didn't even get to, but there like, are a few more, um, yeah. there are so many, um, <laughs> but I think that is a good place to wrap things up. Um, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, do you want to tell people your Twitter in case they want to follow you? Yeah, sure. Uh, my Twitter is pogform, P-O-G-F-O-R-M. Mm-hmm. A classic callback to that great, great uh, Family Guy line that we all love. Um, yeah, it's our Peter, it's it's back in pog form. Exactly, Elf. That's that's my impression of Lois Family yeah. Guy. You nailed it. You got it perfect. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you all for listening to this episode of the show. Um, and I will see you next week for another Star Trek episode of Dad's Feelings. Bye, kiddos! Dad Feelings is hosted by Merrick Kay and produced and edited by me, Nick Bravo. Dad Feelings is a part of Stay Me, the world's only podcast network. We're entirely listener-supported. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron of Stay Me at dadfeelings.com support. Our theme music is Swell Content by Speedy Ortiz, off their album Foiled Gear. Thanks to Car Park Records and Sadie Dupuy for letting us use it. Please mention us on Twitter. We're at DadFeeling and at StayMeanCo. Or rate and review us in iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening.